All right. Well, it is uh, a great privilege to be here as always. It's a beautiful day, and I'm very thankful uh, to see all of you here to learn what God has for us in His Word today. I just wanted to start out by reflecting on something that was said to me this morning during the break. I had a brother walk up to me and he said, how are you doing under the circumstances? And I, I said I was doing well. And you know, usually when we say that, we, uh, we mean well and we have no uh, ill meaning to that. But as I started to think about it in the few minutes after he spoke to me, I realized that because I am a servant of the God who is above every circumstance, um, I never have to be under the circumstances. Um, we are hid with Christ in God above. And so we don't have to be under the circumstances. And I think that that is a very good way to begin today's message because the title of the message is God's Continuing Faithfulness. For those who were here last time I was here, you know that we began a study of the book of Luke. And we covered the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 1 last time. So we're going to cover the next 20 this time. So we'll be in Luke 21, Luke 121 to 140 for the bulk of this message. I do have a few cross references and as always, be ready to look those up and read those at the proper time. We're going to start with Luke 1.21. And the first part of this message, we're going to talk about God visiting Elizabeth. You remember last time that God told Zacharias when he was in the temple that he was going to bless Elizabeth with a child. And if you know anything about that culture or about the Bible's view of children, you will find that barrenness was viewed as a curse. It was viewed as something that you did not want. And as a matter of fact, it was one of God's first punishments when people got out of line with his will, was to make people and even nations barren, such as with the nation of Egypt when the Pharaoh took Sarah as his wife, says his whole household was made barren. So barrenness is a big deal. But here is what it says in Luke 1, 21. And the people visited, or the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he went out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision while he was in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus had the Lord dealt with me in the days whereon he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now, I'm not exactly sure why Elizabeth chose to hide herself for five months. 
maybe she uh, was so surprised. Maybe she had some doubts. I know some people, especially if they've struggled with miscarriage, will wait three or four months, even longer, to let people know that they are expecting because they don't want to tell everybody and then have to later tell everybody that the baby did not survive. My mom always took the other position that she wanted people to know because then if she was grieving a miscarriage, people would realize that and they would be praying for her. But whatever the case is, Elizabeth hid herself. And as you can see, in the beginning of this five-verse section, God kept his word to Zacharias because what happens? Zacharias comes out of the temple and he can't talk. And I don't think this was the scratchy throat can't talk. I think this was the not a word will escape your lips can't talk because when God does something he goes all the way. And so Zacharias can't talk and he's, he's beckoning to them and of course when we get down a little farther we will find that he has to call for a tablet when the baby is born and write his name is John. And at that point, it's when he's given back his ability to speak. But then he goes to his own house. And of course, we know that the only person truly conceived by God was the baby Jesus. So, Zacharias and his wife, they come together in marriage, and Elizabeth conceives. And I can only imagine what it must have been like for her, because she's been waiting all her life. We're not exactly sure how old she was. The text does not tell us. But we know that she was past the age of childbearing. And yet God saw fit to give her a child. And here's what she says. She says, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days whereon he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now, I wonder how many people within the church or without of it would consider conceiving children as God taking away your reproach. There's an increased push in our society today and even in our culture, in the church, to schedule, schedule children the way you would tune-ups on a car. I'll get married, and when I feel like I can fit children in, then I will have them. But the Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And it says that about very few things. It doesn't talk about houses being a reward from the Lord. As a matter of fact, it says houses and lands are an inheritance from the Father. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. It doesn't talk about riches being from the Lord. It doesn't talk about, about 
so many other things that we have as being from the Lord, though ultimately everything comes from Him. But it does talk about children coming from the Lord. And I think that's important. It's also important, this passage, because we tend to put God in a box. And we say, even though we believe God for who He is, or we say we do, we still say there has to be a logical explanation for why He does things. And even when we believe God is going to do something for us, we try, or at least I know I try, to do His will my way. But guess what? It doesn't work that well. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest conflicts of all time is still taking place because Abraham decided to go his own way. It did not wait on God's timing. And this is not an enemy of God. This is someone that God said is the friend of me. And yet... He went his own way. So we need to be careful not to seek to do God's will our way. We also need to learn to value that which God values. And yes, it may turn the cultural paradigm on its ear. But you know what? The Bible says that the disciples turned the world upside down for Christ. And a lot of times we, we think that turning the world upside down for Christ is going out and having mass meetings and preaching in the open air. And yes, that's important. And yes, I applaud those who are called to do that. But sometimes the cultural paradigms, the shifts that need to take place can start right in the home as we evaluate the basics of what God has called us to do. And I just think that this passage underscores the cultural belief of the time. It says, God has heard my reproach, and he's lifted it. And I'm so thankful for that view. And before we move on from this particular Point, I want to look at a cross-reference. Hebrews 11, verse 11, if we could. This is a part of uh, the Hall of Faith there in the New Testament, and this deals with another woman who God used despite her barrenness. Hebrews 11, 11, if somebody has that, could they please read it? Thank you. Yes, Sarah was 90 years old. We do have her age in Scripture. Abraham was 99. And for most people, they don't even expect to live that long nowadays, let alone have a child and raise a child from infancy, infancy starting at 90 or 99. But 
it, this, these stories, they underscore one of my favorite parts of the Bible. God doesn't want to share his glory with anyone else. He's a jealous God. And so he'll often give you something to do, a burden to fulfill. And then he'll make it impossible for you to fulfill it. So that when he does it through you, he gets all the credit. Think about all the other women who were younger, who God could have said, you're going to have John the Baptist. And he's going to preach repentance and prepare the way of the Lord. But he chose Elizabeth. Why? In part because of her testimony, but in part because he wanted himself to be glorified every time the story was told. So if you believe in your heart, with all your heart, that God has put a burden within you, don't give up because the outer circumstances seem impossible. Because it's only when things start to get impossible that God really starts to show up. And starts to do exceedingly abundantly about all that we could ever ask or think or imagine. I want to encourage you with that today. It also is a good lead into the second part of our message. An angel visits Mary. An angel visits Mary. Luke 1, 26 to 30. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. I don't know about you, but that's really something that I want to hear from God. That I have found favor with him. So we we see the angel going from one impossible situation where he tells a couple well past their childbearing years, you're going to have a son. To another impossible situation. A young girl, and we don't know how old she was. I've heard some people say she was as young as 13. Other people say that she was in her later teens to early 20s. Whatever the case would be, she was a young woman. And she was a virgin. This is very important. Because when Adam sinned, sin came on every <coughs> descendant of Adam. And was, was 
continued on through his seed. So Jesus could not have a human father. Because while he was 100% human, he was also 100% God and he was perfect. And unlike other people in the Bible, when it sometimes uses the word blameless, like it says Job was blameless. It says Abraham was righteous. It says that Noah was blameless in his generations. Unlike those people, when it says that he was perfect, it means that he was perfect. There was no deceit found in him. There was no guile on his tongue. There was nothing, absolutely nothing, that he ever did that was wrong. Because if there was, the atonement for our sins that we celebrated this morning in the Lord's Supper would be of no effect. And so, Mary sees the angel, and I'm sure she realizes that angels don't just show up for no reason. He wasn't stopping by for a spot of tea and a crumpet. He was stopping by because he had a very specific message to bring to her. I have reason to believe that she probably was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures since she was marrying a just man like Joseph. We'll read on further in the passage and we'll find that she is very yielded to the Lord. So she may have known something about angels, but she had never experienced one. And so... She's troubled. But the first thing he says to her is, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. I love the way God encourages people. Mary probably felt at that moment that she hadn't really done anything that amazing. That she was just... Uh, a poor peasant girl. But God looks at us not based on who we are only, but who we can be. Remember he said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon was hiding in a wine press. Threshing wheat for fear of the Midianites. And uh, Gideon said, You know, I think you might have gotten the wrong address. Check the next block over. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but the, the point being that he's like, How can this be? And God is certainly in the business of showing up to people who will say, How can this be? Like Moses, just minding his business on the desert. And then God comes to him and says, you're going to lead my people. Over a million strong, you're going to lead them out of Egypt. 
And Moses is like, what? Are you serious? And God was serious because God never changes his mind. He doesn't say anything that he has to take back. And so this is the situation that Mary is in. And uh, so often when I read this, I think of how the certain people, namely the those of the Catholic faith, not all of them, I know there are some that truly believe in the Lord, but the Catholic faith in general takes this phrase about being highly favored and says Mary was sinless. And if we if we pray through Mary, our our sins will will or our prayers will get a boost. But even Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit exalts in the Lord, my Savior." See, she knew she needed a Savior, just as you and I need a Savior. She wasn't favored because she was sinless. She was favored because she was yielded to God. And she was also chosen and favored because it was a fulfillment of Scripture. Could we look at Isaiah 7.14? A familiar passage, but I think bears looking at as we finish this point Isaiah 7 14 Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a son Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see, God said in Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that this is how he would be born. So, if you ever hear somebody saying that it was not necessary, and I bring this up because I have heard this, that it was not necessary for Jesus to be born of a virgin, point them to this scripture. Because scripture always agrees with scripture. And if your scriptural viewpoint is at odds with the rest of Scripture. It's not a scriptural viewpoint. I encourage you to take the truth at face value. The third point moving on, Mary hears God's plan. Okay, so now... The angel has addressed her. He says, fear not, Mary, 
that's another great thing about what the angel does. Because he doesn't just say, fear not, and give a generic form letter. He addresses her by name. And God calls us all by name. So he's very specific. But moving on, and starting in Luke 1.31, this is the angel speaking to Mary. He says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then, continuing on, it says, Then Mary said unto the, said unto the angel, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. <coughs> so we see God interjecting himself into yet another impossible situation. On the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, he says, first of all, don't think you're too young. Or first of all, don't think you're too old to serve me. And second of all, don't think you're too young to serve me. So he's saying that pretty much serving me covers everybody. It may look a little different for different people, but it covers everybody. And as we look at this, it just talks about who Jesus is. He's the definite article. He's the one they've been waiting for. He shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give unto him his throne of his father David. Does anybody remember what God said to David when David wanted to build the temple? God said, David, you're not going to build the temple because your hands are bloody. But what he did say to David was this, your throne will be established forever. And there's no possible way that that could mean by human beings because human beings die. But he said that because there was one coming to his throne who would sit on his throne who would never relinquish it. And praise God Almighty, that one is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And someday, when he returns in glory, I will be reigning with him for a thousand years. And then beyond that, because God has made me a priest and a king to my God, and he offers the same thing to you. And he says to you that he will reign forever. There will be no end. Kingdoms now, they rise and fall. Presidents come and go. But God reigns forever.
This underscores the need for salvation because if God reigns forever, then those who reject him will spend eternity without him. See, we're all eternal. We're all created to be eternal. I used to think of eternal life only in terms of heaven. But the reality is we're all created to be eternal beings. The question is not whether you will have eternal life, but where you will have eternal life. Will it be in heaven or will it be in the lake of fire? That's a decision that you have to make. And hell is real. God spent a lot of time talking about hell in his word. Jesus talked about hell, I believe, more often than he talked about heaven. Why? Because he didn't want anybody to go there. That's why the God of the universe decided to put on a human shell and walk among us. But I marvel that he didn't just do that. He, he went into a woman. And he was born of a woman. And he was a baby. He wore diapers. Can you think about that? He knew what it was to experience a changing body as a, as a teenager. And yet in all the life stages that he went through, he never displeased his father. And he went... After he was in the temple, he went back to Jerusalem and he was subjected unto earthly parents. Can you imagine that? You know, we often think we have it bad with our parents. But we're imperfect kids trying to obey imperfect parents. So if the perfect son of God can subject himself to imperfect parents, then certainly I as an imperfect son can do that. Knowing that if my parents do misdirect me, that they will be answerable to God for that. But I praise God that I have parents who are parents of the word, who have breathed the living word of God into my life from the very beginning. And it will encourage me to seek to follow the shepherd and overseer of my soul. By way of cross-reverence on this point of Mary hearing God's plan. And just to give us a little more of a picture of who God is and who Jesus is. Revelation 11.15 Revelation 11.15. This just goes a little further in telling us about the power of Jesus. And it really just blows my mind even more to think that he condescended to do the human things when he had this kind of power and glory. And he has it again. Revelation 11.15. Does anyone have that? Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and shall reign forever and ever. Think about that. Jesus will reign forever and ever. 
It's easy enough for us to see. I was talking to somebody about this before the service too. It's easy for us to see that time moves fast. And it seems like every year goes faster than the year before. June comes faster than it did last year. December will, be, will come faster than we can know it. Another June. But imagine this. Imagine a God who had his godness, who was and is and ever will be God from eternity past to eternity future. Imagine this one stepping into time. Gaining a timeline for the first time in all of eternity. Imagine how little time that 33 years must have felt to the God of the universe. Because he hadn't been within its confines from all eternity. And yet, we're not only assured that he was in his body beforehand, but we know that he has a glorified body. And that when we reach heaven, we will Look on him whom we have pierced. He has chosen to dwell in that body for all of eternity. But just thinking about what this meant, I don't think we often fully grasp what, what it meant for the king reigning forever and ever to become a baby, to grow up like you and I. To be in subjection to earthly parents. And then to walk on the dusty streets of Galilee. Preaching and doing good. Only at the end of his life to be spit upon. To be punched. To be nailed to a cross. To have a crown of thorns. Jammed on his head. The psalmist said, How wonderful are your thoughts to me, O God. And even as he was hanging on the cross, his thoughts to us were wonderful, for he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And I know it's kind of getting you slightly off track, but this is what it's about. This was the beginning of the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God told Adam in the Garden of Eden right before he kicked him out, I will provide redemption for you. And this is it. Moving on, We then have some encouragement from Mary in these last few verses, Luke 1, 36 to 40. You know, we, all, we have all been hit with life-changing news. We've all had life-changing experiences. But I think most of our life-changing experiences would pale in comparison to what just over these last few minutes happened to Mary. One day she is 
minding her own business out in the garden or doing some housework and all of a sudden this angel shows up and he says you're going to have a baby and she says there's no way the angel proceeds to tell her how it's going to take place and backtracking a little bit or seeing Mary's response to all this this is what she said then said Mary to the angel oh I I got a little behind here but um she had said how is this going to be because I'm a virgin and the angel outlined the answer. And Mary's probably thinking this is pretty much impossible for the reason I've outlined. I'm a, I'm a virgin. It's not going to happen. And this is what the angel says in encouragement. He says, Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her, and Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. I'm so glad that God gives us companions for life. When Jesus sent out the disciples, the 70, he sent them out two by two. And he said, go into the towns and if they receive you, and stay and be welcome. If they don't, shake the dust off your sandals and move on to the next town. When he chose the disciples, he chose twelve. And they followed him and he had an inner sanctum of three. And when the disciples went into the, to the town to prepare for the Passover, it was Peter and John together. When God sent Paul out on missionary journeys, he provided him first with Barnabas, and then when they went their separate ways, he provided him with Silas. And others like Tychicus and Timothy, who helped Paul in his missionary journeys. Because he didn't mean for us to be alone, and the same thing he does this for Mary. He brings Mary knowledge of another person who God has dramatically changed her life. And so the only person that could possibly understand what Mary's going through is her cousin Elizabeth. And what does Mary do? She goes to her house. And I'm not sure exactly how long Mary stays. I think the text says something along the lines of a month or two. But the reason is because Elizabeth understood exactly what Mary was going through. 
Because God had come to Zacharias and Elizabeth and said, this thing is going to happen. And they thought in their human logic that there was no way. But God made it happen. And then he was able to use that story to say to Mary, just as I have visited Elizabeth, just as I have made her conceive and she's in her sixth month of pregnancy, so I'm going to have you conceive and you're going to bear the Son of God. So there's encouragement. He doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't desert us. Now, of course, there are some times when our friends can be less than encouraging. Just ask Job. They started out pretty good because they spent seven days in silent mourning for their friend. How many of us are willing to silently mourn with those who we love? Or do we always have to render an opinion? I know this is a hard thing for me, but when last time I had a a close friend, a fairly close friend of the family pass away, that was one thing I tried to do, is just be there and cry with them. Because even if I had some great pearl of wisdom, you know what? They wouldn't have been ready to hear it then. And it probably wasn't as wise as I thought it was anyway because it was coming from me and I am a sinner. An imperfect human being. So sometimes what we need is encouragement. And I bet Elizabeth needed encouragement at that time too. Because it says that Mary greeted Elizabeth. Can we look by way of cross reference at Jeremiah 32 17? 32 17. This is another verse that kind of talks about God's promise and what he would do through our Savior. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arms, and there is nothing too hard for thee. In both of these cases, Elizabeth and Mary, they were impossible by human life. It didn't seem possible or even probable that, that they would be God's choice to do these things. But as we just read, that he made the earth and the sea and everything. He put everything in order. So anything else you, anything else you give him to do or anything else you ask him to do or anything else he asks you to let him do through you is pretty much small potatoes. Because if he created the entire world in seven days, he can certainly fill the barren womb. 
If he created the world in seven days, he can certainly heal people of their diseases. We must be careful, though, because we can lapse into the wrong way of thinking about that as well. We must realize that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Some people think they can command the Lord to do things, but we can't. God is not beholden to us at all. We are the ones who are beholden to him. So we can ask, but we must believe that whatever his decision, it's the best from the circumstances. As we close, I hope that you will be encouraged that God can do the impossible through your life. As long as you, you yield to him, I would encourage you on a daily basis. I need to get better at this myself, but on a daily basis to get up and say, Lord, what do you want to do through me today? And you may be surprised what he does. Because I don't think he really wants us just floating from day to day with, with no real insight or purpose. So I will pray that God will continue to crystallize and solidify that for you. And I ask that you pray for that in my life, that I would continue to be renewed, and that God would show me what he has for my future. As I end, I just say to you, may the God of all comfort comfort you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May God be with us all as we seek to trust and serve him this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories in Luke about how you made the impossible possible. We thank you for Elizabeth, um, an example of a seasoned saint who was living her life in a blameless manner. And try, strove to do all things which pleased you. And so you rewarded her with that baby that she had so longed for. Lord, I think of Mary. That young girl who was just starting out in life. Was planning to marry Joseph and was preparing for that. Then an angel shows up and the ordinary became extraordinary because you, God, intervened. Because the fullness of time had come, as it says in Galatians. Or we pray that we would be sensitive so that if you visit us in some special way that we will be willing to do that which you ask us to do. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.